0: Okay, so the next layer from the outside to in is really like our, I think, our proprietary layer. This is the coolest place. This is where we get into the coat and the corset. And the first thing that we'll say is the biggest problem is we see with a lot of people is timing. So they are bringing in their muscles and sculpting their middle and having the right kind of muscles. uh, And they're working on those with no undergarments so they are not doing the way things the way nature intended which is to fire the internal core the corset which is when a baby is born just like I said that there's these layers so when a baby's born uh, their brain controls their muscles without any awareness of like their digestion and beating their heart so those are out of the equation babies don't have any voluntary movement, so they can't reach or do anything with their arms and legs. But they do have these sort of built-in reflexive movements, which is their brain having sort of a shortcut of basic movement patterns. So I call those kind of the undergarments. So before the baby learns to move, is able to move anything, and they always do it in order. You know, they press up, then they roll over, then they sit up, then they stand up, then they walk, then they uh, or they sit up. They crawl, they stand up, they walk, then they jump only at the end. they don't ever vary from that order. They might vary in the time of how it emerged, but one of those things in normal neurology is always going to precede the other because there's this development of the coat after you have um, uh, it takes time so what it was always built on is a proper foundation, which is the undergarments. So you might have a very well-trained coat and voluntary movements, but then if you get an injury, or you look at other people who move badly, or you train yourself, you can start relying on making your shape, the suitcase shape, as I said, is like with the duct tape, instead of clasping the clasp. So the duct tape will hold it together, but it's very unreliable, and if you drop it on a conveyor belt. It's very likely to explode with all your clothes all over everything. So we wanna put the corset on first, which is nicely packed clothes, close the suitcase, and close the clasps, which is the intention of being able to move. So with a newborn baby uh, who can't move at all, their only movement that they need to learn is swallowing which is actually really difficult. Sucking and swallowing and eye movements. So they are basically, eye movements are really important. A newborn only can see, basically, they see pretty well in focus, just the distance that it would be for uh, breastfeeding, natural breastfeeding in particular. There's the gaze with the baby looking there. So their first thing they're gonna be looking at is mom. As they're ex- having all these things going on, they're helping them, and then their world starts to expand, so they don't have to take everything in the world in on their immature nervous system, which is like the worst hangover ever. You just don't want to be bombarded with this chaos that the whole world is. So nature-made babies have everything fuzzy, so that they're not getting all of that, which is great so they can't they feel sensations but they don't really know what they are cuz they haven't identified them so humans are really cool because we're the only ones whose brain develops in the context of movement because that whole period of movement takes a couple years and our brain is learning and we're getting sensation and movement with all of our emotions and intentions and things so i always say is that the thinking part of your brain was just to tell you it's all about movement it's it tells you, it pl- allows you to plan to move. And one of the movements is speech, so it can plan you to speech. So we think about what we're going to do and we can remember it. But that's really the only difference. So your mind is your movement journal. So movement is so important, but we've lost a lot of it. And the first thing to be able to move is to fire this internal core. And one of the great great uh, selling or marketing or messaging points we have to these moms is the pelvic floor is kind of there with kind of the wrong idea about it but women especially after they've had a baby they assume no matter what they can feel or know is something's not right down there and it will come back or not come back or they don't know but they don't necessarily associate their pooch with their pelvic floor okay so but they all know what a course it is and now that with waist training and things like that they're knowing even more it's this it's this pulling in and it stays on all the time and you move through this so the 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 corset the internal corset that we make we train it with intention you can't train it like you do your muscles because the brain path is a different one so the corset fires all at one time so when the baby thinks I want to move it all goes on and then the voluntary movement might be the one arm. But the, this corset fires weakly or strongly, but it should normally fire all together. So we're talking about the diaphragm on the top, the pelvic floor on the bottom, like a capsule, like a Tylenol cap, you know, that, that it comes together, and the guts, which is what is all in here, which are very big and heavy, and take up space, so there's not air or nothing in here. As those push together and they squeeze, the spine lengthens, because you've closed down the space and something has to give and it grows out like a plant out of a hole. So as you squeeze down, the spine comes up and it's braced like it's in packing peanuts. So it's held in place and now on that basis, the baby who really can't move much has a stable foundation to be able to move. So they have a fixed point, everything's not moving around, and the fixed point is this blowing up of the internal core. Teresa,
1: if we actively lengthen our spine then, from tailbone to crown of head like beneath does a lot, does that mean that the, the, the corset is going to fire?
0: Not necessarily, but it will fire, but it won't necessarily fire in the right order. Hmm. So what we encourage people to do is have an image, hmm. and because we're trying to trick them since they've learned, is we give them an image that might not be an image that is real. That's why we use animals and objects and things like that, and say, imagine you're a, and we use those images. And that is why you said, um, like, one of our images for the pelvic floor to get it moving, and we want to move away from the front, move towards the rear, is to use a reed. And you said that people don't know what a reed is, and I was like, perfect. Because I can tell them what a reed is. It's a straw that grows in nature. It's one of those things with, like, the cattail on top of it. And you can use it in a musical instrument. And you can blow air through it or suck water through it. But when you tell the story of yogis being able to suck water up their bum, they want to hear it's through a reed, not a straw. Because they don't even like the idea. So, and straws are in your mouth. So everybody knows what it is. And they still try and pucker their... They try and do all the things that they would with the straw, which actually don't work with the straw, but still are the wrong things. So... We use these images where they're not we our, our human brain can say, "Oh, that works. We turn people in positions where their their uh, parietal lobe gets a little bit confused and say, "Oh well, my leg can go up if I'm in this position." but you say, "Well, it's doing the same thing. Why can't it go up when you know when you go down that is your leg going up and after you explain it to them, they can do it. But until you explain it to them and trick them, they can't do it. Because the brain is forming these intentions. And what fires the internal core is the intention to move. An intention is an image. Okay, so your intention, if you're playing sport, is to see the ball move. As soon as it moves, you're fired. If you mess your core up, and you, what your intention to do is to run fast, then you get injured because you start to drag your body along instead of letting the ball cue you.
1: Let's say you do have an injury Uh, trauma to a part of the corset.
0: Yes. Um,
1: Do you think there's any other rehab required besides intention?
0: I think that for appropriate rehab you have to turn everything else off and allow the corset time to fire when it is being slow. Otherwise our brain takes over and it controls what it can. So you start to fire the corset by touching it with the outside. So you can fire it with compression or pressure. Just like the diaphragm, you know, when you press down, when you touch it, when you stretch it, it will it will expand. So you can do crunch, you can move the coat like that layer in on the corset and it will fire it, but it was like wearing your underwear on the outside.
1: Is the corset um, more important to be trained in your brain or the actual corset?
0: They, don't, they can't be separated. So you train the corset with your brain and then your corset becomes stronger, more resilient, more functional, you can pull the laces in tighter. It's more reliable because you've trained it. So it is training it. It's just an indirect training through imagery. And the intention isn't an intention to move. It's an intention to do something. And it works better if your intention to do something is something you can't actually do because then you can't make your muscles do it. So you put in an intention, you go, Oh, I can do that. I can turn upside down in my head. See, that's the human, that's where we can use our brain to our advantage because we can't go back to being a baby that doesn't know anything. But we can actually look at a baby and see. Things like they have to balance their head on top, and if it overbalances, over they go. You can see them develop that. You can see that the baby has no arm strength and doesn't do a push-up, but lengthens their spine to raise their eyes to see. Yeah. And everybody can know. is like you put the baby in the car seat or prop them up and anything, they they're happy. That's why I'm very against it, because it takes away your desire to move. That's what nature put in to make you move, is want from your eyes. So if you give babies what they would get as if they were moving, then they are, don't fuss. But we look at them and we fuss, and I'm not saying that it's bad, it's a mix, but it's important to understand that they do still then need to move. But they will quiet down because what they want to do is to get something. But that frustration is what nature puts in to make them keep trying to do it. And when they want to learn to walk, no matter what they did for any of the others or liking the car seat, they don't want anything else except for to keep standing up and falling down. Over and over and over and over again, because that biologic imperative is there. Is it looks different when I pull my own body up? My camera is on a tripod now, and I can turn it and do stuff. And then they just never get. They just don't get tired of that for a really, really long time. And we keep with such hubris, you know, it's such arrogance to think we could invent a toy. I just just like, well, what do you, you know, it was my son, you know, when he was stupid because he didn't like toys and he would, like, just stare at his feet and do stuff. And I was like, well, what, does Mattel make something, like, cooler than a hand? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And that is how we used to play in dirt and with our imaginations. And that's what play is. Play is making something out of nothing. Now, we give them something and they make nothing out of it. Because as soon as Any kind of desire is there, we satisfy any of the exploration or the frustration. And they're happy. That's just entertained. That's just a drug, like a zoo. That's what you do with animals in captivity. You just find some way to amuse them so they stop pacing. Stereotypies, those are called, because they're not getting normal movement and stimulation from the environment, and they can't talk to tell you so we don't do that we have television instead And we just stare at it and it has all the movement we want we think we're you know, our brain is like getting all these messages it's just methadone though it's just blunts our desire for something that's really important mm-hmm. and the corset isn't just trained it's a reliable thing like you put it on and you can change your coats and all this around is that the corset is something that you can count on so when it's trained your posture cha- everything is just you just wear it all the time and it any kind of thoughts or intentions start to follow, fire it but what we're doing isn't intending to fire it. what we're doing is noticing the sensation because as you increase the movement you increase the sensation we go I feel different I feel stacked or alert. I feel light. I feel my guts in a good way, not a bad way. I mean, we know we can feel our guts. The humans have so much visceral innervation. We have all these nerves. <laughs> but I think that those nerves are there to give us emotions. So you can go, as like, my heart feels like it's gonna break. I have butterflies in my stomach. Is We feel something in here, and our brain says, I'm going to call that a name, because that feeling is associated with that sensation and that sensation and feeling is associated with facial expressions on other people so when we look at their face and they have a mad face and then then we start to be able to categorize all these emotions and we just I wouldn't say animals don't have emotions but they don't have language that describes them so it is really important to communicate it's a part of our social being and so is our face so all of these things, the corset is very natural, so it's also very stress relieving. Mm-hmm. And although people might want to pull it in, is it, the point is really that you can set it and forget it. And that when you start to retrain it, you can count on it. It's always there. Then we move to the coat.
1: What does it do to gut motility based upon uh, if it turns
0: on or off? Or well, it's, it's great. It'll give you a little visceral massage. It will definitely, like I said, when you swallow, then you get craniosacral manipulate. You know that. So all of these things and that tongue movement, that's still part of the corset, even though it's does not physically looks like it. But the, but uh, the prime thing we need to look for for guts is that the main reason they don't move is uh, that it isn't that the corset isn't functioning. Yeah. So, so but also the corset functioning does not smush the guts that is inaccurate so probably things taken to extreme maybe like the way corsets were made and because fashions change the corsets became more compressive corsets are redistributive and they are have a postural effect and also as i said very importantly is there was no bras so corset also lifted your chest and kept it from pulling you down. So, for women who are much more floppy in their joints from the relaxant and stretchy and limber, the corset helps confine them in such a way that keeps a lot of their, they then use a lot of their breathing movements and their smaller movements than what men typically do, then their, they're, they, without doing physical labor and hard, you know, necessarily work, which they of course did when they gathered but it still was different levels of activity. I mean, we're not that muscular activity. It was like, we'd go farther distance, carry stuff on your head, balance. Those would always be more important. And you can't balance something on your head if you don't have a corset.
1: Yeah. You know the way how babies, when they breathe, their belly comes out? Yes. Is that because their pelvic floor has no tone? What happens? And why does, How is breeding supposed to look? Are you ever supposed to see breathing?
0: Well. You can see breathing like a deep breath. You should see some movement on the sides of the ribs, but not an opening in the middle, no. not a protrusion in the front. And that ideally for women, like men might see their, if you could stand up here for a second. So I would tell them a man probably is where I want you to breathe is right here. Mm-hmm. So I want the breath to come. I don't want anything to be poking out here. I want this breathing into the belt all around, mm. where this the sides expand. First, you have to breathe here and make the sides expand, not the front expand because mm-hmm. the ribs are down. Mm-hmm. And then you breathe into this right above the iliac crest. Mm-hmm. Okay. But for a woman who has a bigger pelvic bowl, if you might come up here, is you know I had to go to all these people and they're all like, you have to breathe. You know, you have to breathe correctly and belly breathe and I'd be like, if you think I am going to breathe in that way that makes me look so fat and sticks my stomach out, you're crazy, because I'm leaving it's like, sit there and put your hands on there and like Bruh. It's like, oh what, am I supposed to walk around doing that? There's no way. So we can breathe, it's just slightly lower, but instead of, it makes, you start here again with the intention is ribs stay down and you expand more in the back and the sides. And then as you're having control, and you understand that the guts are moving down, you're not breathing air here. The guts are compressing and they're giving you expansion of the intra-abdominal pressure here and with the pelvic floor. So you breathe into the bikini. That's what the men breathe into the belt and the women breathe into the bikini. Because there's space. And you start to feel like it's actually filling up your butt. Right in the place where it needs some filling, right here, yeah, up, up in the like, upper yeah. butt. Where I it starts to be, to be droopy, it's the it, it's pushing on your pelvic floor. So it, it, you're st- when you breathe like that, you're stretching the pelvic floor. Um, I sent you a video link and I showed you the qigong one, and I said that the you know we have the two domes or the pelvic floor is how we're going to access the corset with doing a lot of pelvic floor exercises, which helps women also lose their sensory motor amnesia of it being stretched out and feeling like. They're just empty down here and uh, getting that tone, but you, when you develop the pelvic floor and you have some pelvic floor tone and you, can hold, you have a reasonably reliable corset, then Qigong is really great because it's, instead of moving the pelvic floor, you move the diaphragm while keeping all the arms off of the diaphragm, but there's all these lifting and massaging movements that come from p- pistoning down. But it doesn't matter. You can push on it anywhere and then it will push back. It's just like weightlifting using the universe. So you're pulling in energy to push on the box and then the box will push back out because we're developing resilience. It isn't static, it moves, it's springy. So I call that layer the bulge because as you get that, that is going to start to create the appropriate undergarment for the coat. So the coat is Crunches. Okay, so women will come in as like, I do all these crunches so I could have a flat tummy and a six pack. I'm like, why do you want a six pack? You're a woman. Women shouldn't have six packs. You have to have less than 10% body fat, absolutely, to have a six pack because you can't have any fat covering your muscles. And to do that, you can't be fertile. So you're not even a woman. So you put this on, you're damaging your body with not enough fat to have normal hormones, be a normal woman, have normal bones. And on top of that, then you're doing crunches, which is like wearing this coat, which is like the bulgy men's. We don't want this coat. We want the coat that I forgot, because I was gonna do this very dramatic, my blue coat that I just got. We want the coat that's like Prince. You know, we want the, we want a coat that fits us or we want lots of different clothes and we want to be able to take and choose and ev- open everything in the closet and put on any clothes that we want and they all fit. So when women have what I, um, a diastasis recti, which is a separation of these six-pack muscles, they, they separate because in between there's fascia like canvas and it, it, part of it is weakened and part of it is just stretchy for during pregnancy, it, it everything gets stretchy, and then you have to train it back. But they don't; their abdominal muscles are out here, the ones that go up and down. Like, so we have to help them approximate those so that this can heal. It's like a cut; you, it, it won't heal until you bring the edges together. So we can't be having them do a lot of uh, the exercises we do until this is healed. So every woman that comes in, we have to check her for that. Men get it too. It's a hernia, it's a blowout. Um, it looks like alien belly, and I like that, to call it that. It's like you look down and you go, "What? what is sticking out? Clearly something. Doesn't look like a muscle, it doesn't just doesn't look usual. And you can be very lean, in fact, very often that they are, because I think there's a huge nutritional component of the inflamed guts and the tissue won't heal and things. So um, that is uh, that coat, to me, is like your coat, you can put your corset on, but your coat has busted buttons. So we have to repair the buttons, or it's still not going to fit. So you have to repair the buttons and the corset both. But this thing here where there's a gap in front is because really the buttons are busted. So we have this idea of using our coat to squeeze our fat in. So this is the problem that women have got is like, I'm going to exercise my muscles until they clamp down like a tight coat that we can just zip it up and then the fabric holds everything in. So instead of having a corset, we have a compression from the muscles and we think we can do that by crunching but that actually is going to build the muscles up because this is a crunch of your bicep and it gets bigger and stands up and so does this. So the six-pack comes from bulk, which is great if you're a man and you want to look like a beard glass, but not so good for a woman, although she might twist her torso and go, look at that, she's all ripped. Mm -hmm. I want to be like that. And she will never show you the other side of her, because she can't have any body fat. So even if she really tones her butt, it's very unlikely to look normal and she's gonna be very straight up and down because she has to have a lot of genetic predisposition and hard work to get a six pack. Cause it's abnormal. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it would require a lot of perturbation for a man to eat and behave in such a way that he needed to wear a bra. That's how we should look at it. It's about as appropriate. And it's like, man, you have way too much estrogen. And
2: the women who do that, they're losing all their gold, fat.
0: But- yeah. They they lost it all. It's all gone. They, when,
2: then if they do get pregnant, then they become stupider because right. the baby has to
0: take from the brain. Right. And on top of that, well, they can't get pregnant unless they take Are you fertility. Serious? They can't. They can't get pregnant. Yeah. I promise you, they can't get pregnant. Yeah. They come to me, and I have to make them pregnant. But let's say then. So I'm very glad because I'm not interested. Plus, I didn't do this. Is I'm not interested in helping women have brain damaged babies yeah. because they're afraid of putting on. 10 pounds enough to, because I just saw it happen over and over, but I'm already fat, 10 pounds. Just gain 10 pounds. I can't tell you how many women got pregnant and all they did was gain 10 pounds. But most of them said, I'm already too fat. I'm already 10 pounds overweight, or 20 pounds overweight. I said, just still gain 10 more pounds. And they got pregnant. And,
2: and Chase, but just to add,
0: but here, that, those fats, those important fats, the DHA, they're actually used for other things. So they have to counteract inflammatory effects and they have to break down drugs. So not only are they losing them that way, but they're actually squandering them. So there's like a Aesop's Fable where um, they had the pot of fat and uh, I can't remember which two animals, but one of them was come back and kept licking the pot of fat and then they both starved to death. But you know, you set that away for the winter time and then someone was coming in, they were eating the fat. I think it was a country mouse and a city mouse. But the point was is that fat was to be stored to last you through the winter. And if you're just lazy and you don't put any more into store and then you use it up, it's all gone and then everybody starves. So it's, uh, it's very important, that fat storage, and, and when we understand that's what our fat on our body is trying to do, preserving that, detoxifying it, we can really stream, we can get a lot of the extra saturated fat off and still keep the good stuff.
2: And when, when that good fat is gone, is it harder to put back on?
0: Well, because it's, it's just expensive and rare. Yeah. So you can put it back on and people will be like, well, yes, I can take fish oil tablets, but it isn't just that easy. Mm. It works better if you eat food, but you have to like eat a lot of sardines. I mean, it, the seafoods really are the only highly bioavailable source of DHA. So when we buy DHA like from the pharmacy, mm. or it's in the formula, they make that from algae. But at least they're making it from algae now. They used to make it from, it was just a chemical thing. We couldn't absorb it, we couldn't use it. You'd pay for it. In the laboratory, you can measure it, but it couldn't get into your body.
2: That's just seaweed.
0: The seaweed is a, a, decent, a decent source. So it's where we're gonna be going with the, especially if you want vegetarian, because that's what the fish eat to get it too. Yeah. But we were using other things that had omega-3s in them. We couldn't use any of that. Like it's a flaxseed. It's just rubbish. It's very expensive and it's inflammatory most of the time because it's gone rancid so easily. Um, So the coat layer is basically, um, so let me see here just to say, okay, I put imagery corset, ghrelin. Ghrelin is the hormone that tells you when it's time to eat. So when your stomach is empty, you secrete ghrelin and when your stomach is full, you stop. So I always just remember, say, if it's growling, it's probably ghrelin. So that ghrelin is an empty stomach, rumbly, like I want to eat. If you eat all the time, ghrelin will start to just, every time you see something you'd like to eat, you'll get ghrelin. So you're, you're, you'll be very disordered, and your stomach will be growling anytime you see anything. You're on the seafood diet. If I see it, I want to eat it. So you have to suppress the urge, which again, you shouldn't. Now I was telling a story about the babies in satiety. If you, and I'm going to go back to that. So if you take babies at six weeks of age and you measure how much breast milk or formula they drink in one feeding by weighing them very carefully, so they don't use any amount. They weigh them and see how much went in. And then uh, they did these studies looking to see if they could help babies stay through the night by trying to get them to drink more. So they were just looking at sort of feeding patterns. And what they found is at six weeks of age that the babies would uh, drink the most when they woke up in the morning after they had their longest period without um, whether it was the morning, but if they slept for that long period, so they were asleep for maybe four hours. depending on whether whatever it was it was where the longest period was that was the biggest eating episode so after they hadn't eaten was when they ate the most but those same babies at six months of age had completely switched and then they you you know had their nights and days worked out but they also had satiety so they tank up so if it was a formula fed baby they would drink a big bottle and if it's a breastfed baby what they do is they just don't stop nursing so they stop and then they start, but they might have three cluster feedings right before bedtime, but then they conk out in their sleep. It, it digests faster and things, but what we're seeing is in that sense that the brain has trained the baby that satisfaction is I stop when I'm full, which is reasonable, and you have to allow satisfaction. But satiety is a much more advanced skill, which is my brain knows when to stop to last me till the next mealtime. And we have trained our brain to never have satiety. So every time is a time to eat, and I'm hungry at anything I see right after I see it, and we're nibbling all the time. This really preys havoc with not just our ghrelin, but our insulin. Again, every one of these hormones will come up in a proprietary way. They're paid for by a drug company to say, if I fix your insulin, if I fix your ghrelin, if I fix your leptin, you'll be thin and they never work out because all the hormones all work together and they find a way of ganging up on you after a time they'll work for a short time so you can publish your study and say look we got all these results and people pay you know hundred dollars for a small bottle or something and then they go you know that doesn't really work but it works but then it stops working so it's a real problem with that and the other thing that ghrelin needs is they don't just need your eating schedule, they need your circadian rhythm schedule. So ghrelin is a real problem with people who aren't sleeping enough, which can be still related to thyroid, adrenal, sex hormones, all of these other things can interfere with your sleeping. But you need to sleep enough and because it has to do with the melatonin access of your days and nights is you need to be in a dark room. So if the, we think that ghrelin is possibly one of the mediators in weight gain from not sleeping enough or weight loss from sleeping appropriately. So ghrelin, scheduled meal times, uh, you know, with reasonable intervals, sticking to that sort of schedule, and good sleep in a dark room is helps you with your ghrelin. And then the next one, we talked about the blob, and that's where you have the shape like that coat. We don't want this blob-like shape, we want a shapely shape. And I just did this here. We can to just show you sort of the way that I think I'll be going through some of the materials you look at as I really like mind maps, and you can do as as like a screen, you know, go over and wander around. But leptin is basically your fattestat. So leptin is secreted by fat cells, and people, women get in leptin trouble really, really fast. It it, it regulates your appetite, but um, it's a gauge that tells you that tells the brain. It sends a leptin report because the brain can't see the fat. The brain can only read the leptin report. So the leptin speaks for the fat. I call leptin the Lorax. So the Lorax spoke, speaks for the trees, and leptin speaks for the fat cells because they have no tongues and sends a leptin report to the brain and tells the brain how much fat's around. If the leptin report says we don't have much fat, then the brain is going to stimulate your appetite and a lot of things to help you make more fat stores. And if um, the leptin says we're all good, we got great fat you know, we're running, it's summer, you know, stuff is available, everything's good. Um, then you have good morning energy, you don't have preoccupation with food, you're satisfied easily or you don't have all these other problems. Um, so what what happens to mess the leptin report up is what i made through some of these is that one is that you can develop leptin resistance so since leptin is like your gas gauge if you could imagine being in the car and your gas gauge was like your annoying gps instead of just showing you that it was getting down it started to leave annoying it started to talk all the time and interrupt you it's like we could be running out of gas soon. We could be running, is that a gas station? We could be running out of gas soon. You know, it just starts chattering. So you go, how can I disable this? And you disable that, and now the leptin report is, uh, there isn't one, so it's just, the brain starts making its best guess. So when there's leptin resistance, that's what's that's what's going to, um, the, the brain becomes deaf and stupid um, because of the uh, leptin report being unreliable. And the other reason the leptin report can be um, unreliable is from inflammation of the fat cells. So fat cells that are inflamed call in sick. So the brain is getting, the brain is like, there's 10 to 25 billion and more in obese people, fat cells in your body so if you can imagine like if that was a population of people but only a thousand of them came in and gave their opinion it could be very distorted so when the leptin report is called in but most of the cells aren't calling in because they're calling in sick today then the brain gets a message is that we have no fat even when you might be very very fat because as you get, the more fat you are, remember we talked about toxins being locked in the fat. So there, the fat gets more inflamed, and inflamed fat makes more toxins and poorer blood supply, and the leptin report gets more skewed and disturbed.
2: Right, Teresa. just then, it, uh, for leptin, leptin, um, it really only recognizes healthy fat, like, you know, fat that can be used, for good fat.
0: Right. It's going to, the the inflamed fat might give an unreliable report. So if you say only the healthy fat cells are calling in, then you might get a very low number of response to the brain. So the brain says you need more leptin because it thinks there's no fat. It thinks that you're starving. And so um, when... Uh, you crash diet or you go on severe calorie restriction or too long of fasting for women because their leptin kicks in way faster than men. So we have to be careful or we fat fast them or we do something that's like, it isn't about being hungry, it really is about being starving, which means breaking down your body tissue instead of your fat stores. So you can fast more when you're healthy, when you've trained fasting, it's not an impossibility. But what we just have to keep in mind is, fasting, intermittent fasting, you have to be more careful with women than men because any perceived starvation is going to be met with extreme and long-lasting resistance. So the backlash of eating is this really bad one for women, which is nighttime eating. So they're not eating during the day, leptin surges. I call it the zombie. I wouldn't show you the little Uh, YouTube video that goes through the hormones, but it's the zombie. The leptin, when your leptin's out, that's where you're like, ah, you can't think, you open the refrigerator over and over, you go out and get the car, you just have to eat something, don't care what it is, Um, it's not about portion control, it's just about pushing food in your mouth. Um, There's starvation mode of leptin hell, Which is your brain? Your fat becomes sick. Your brain doesn't trust you. All the messages get back and forth, and this leptin, this 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 altered leptin is something we're going to have to deal with because many of the people that we're going to have here have been dieting chronically off and on for maybe since adolescence. And as I said, you start putting your your brain has a plan that has started even before you're born, but at the time of puberty, when we're seeing girls starting to diet before they even reach puberty, they could have very disordered leptin, and it might take a year, which they don't want to hear, but it's just the truth. I mean, I don't know what to say. It just takes time. It isn't, it's, it's cancer. I mean, you have to allow yourself time for recovery. There's been a tremendous amount of damage done. So we can be working on things all along, but they might not get results as fast as they want when they have resistances to these hormones that have been built up by them completely ignoring normal physiologic responses for so long. So the next layer is... Um,
2: Teresa, can I ask a quick question? Yes. Um we're, we're talking about... Um, the stress hormone a lot. It's really, really relevant to the classes that we're going to be doing. Um, do you think that instead, like, do women find it so hard to lose weight when they're, say, when they're in that point where they're so frustrated, they feel like they've tried absolutely everything, and, you know, they're weighing themselves every day, and they're like, I, you know, why am I losing weight, and follow that blah. blah, blah, blah. Is their preoccupation with trying to lose weight all the time, trying to lose fat, burn fat, shed fat, all of this, is that, is that keeping them fat? Is yes. Their, their thoughts...
0: Their thoughts are keeping them fat. Yes,
2: yeah, so their preoccupation with, right. with losing weight. Well, and, and, and
0: actually just thinking about... Their brain is trying to figure out what they want, and it doesn't understand negatives very well. So it's a lot of preoccupation about food, and your brain goes, oh, yeah, we're starving that's what your brain's default is so if you're obsessing about all this food and not having enough to eat and feeling hungry your brain is going to be shutting everything down saying don't worry i'll make sure that we're lowering your body temperature and things so that you won't you know you're like in the hospital of like the coma patient you know we're trying to preserve you by shutting down all the systems because your brain doesn't interpret overabundance of food that doesn't happen in nature for long periods of time doesn't happen, there isn't sugar. Sugar is the end of summer. You have sugar, you have long days and night, you're supposed to have sex, you're supposed to get pregnant, and then there's no food until next year. So you better have it, you better be wearing it. There's no refrigerator. Mm, okay. Food that's not on your fanny <laughs> is not, Or sorry, but that food is, <laughs>
1: Fanny
0: to the <laughs> food that, it is like, it's the original, because they call it the original <laughs> fanny pack, you know, or yeah. saddlebags. What's a saddlebag? It's what you take on your horse. It's like your provisions for when you go out and there won't be any. So you wear this so when there's winter, there's something to eat for you and your baby until there's more food. Because food's very scarce in the winter. But now we live in endless summer, winter never comes. The lights are always on, we're eating sugar. All of the cues are telling us, you're gonna have a baby. Eat, 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 eat sweet stuff, fruit, that stimulates insulin and a desire to eat more and soon, you know, to, to binge a lot and to eat frequently because of the what it does with your insulin. And then in the end, it tops off all your visceral stores and says, okay, hibernate, you're ready, down you go. And you should be responding to the environment, not doing very much. The lights are down. You're just sort of semi-hibernating. We don't do that anymore. But lights have only been around for about 100 years. Like your mom said she didn't have electricity in her house when, they, when she was young. I mean, that's just how long lights have been around, not very long. So they've really perturbed us. And in such a short time, we can't begin to... <laughs> theorize on what it means to our brain to have taken away the one constant on earth besides gravity which is the day comes and the day goes and there's light and dark and every organism has a circadian clock every living thing and we basically smash jars and says, but I have an iPhone, and it tells me what time it is. I mean, we really believe that this has no effect, and then we don't believe it has effect until someone does a scientific study, which might be dead wrong, even though they're on the right track, because we can't measure it, because we don't know if it's, we're measuring just the first or second step out of 20 steps, and that that going down causes something else to go up, and the thing going down doesn't have anything to do with it, so we go, oh, that went down, so let's bring that up. We don't know, but we do know that people do better if they sleep enough and they're in a very dark room. So at least approximating something of your circadian rhythm is a good idea. The other thing that we're clearly seeing now is that the light that shines back into your eyes is more hormonally disruptive. So looking at a large plasma screen TV or looking at your iPad or your iPhone or your, your screen is not like reading a book. Because when you read a book, the light shines over you onto a page. When we look at all these other things, there's light shining right back into our eyes. And we're so sensitive to the light shining back in our eyes that before we had all these other things that were shining light in our eyes, what they measured was opening the refrigerator shined light in your eyes. And that was enough to goof up everything. Just that light of the door opening or flicking on the bathroom light when you went to the bathroom. So you says, like, try not to do that. Keep it dim keep your eyes kind of shut or something, so that you're not letting blast. And then when I come to Ireland, you just go out in the sun, you go like that, and that's how you don't have jet lag. You let the sun shine right in your eye, and it resets your clock. So. The last layer I'm coming back to is the blubber, which we talked a little bit about before, which is what they're used to. I'm going to use this for just a moment to talk about probably the most important hormone that we have to deal with, which is why um, uh, the booty camp diet works very well. um, But I think more important for insulin is when you eat and when you don't eat. So here's my little insulin story. Insulin, people will tell you, is that's what diabetics have. It controls your blood sugar. So diabetics, they say they don't have enough insulin, which is true for some diabetics, and then they give them insulin. But for most diabetics is they have way too much insulin and they have insulin resistance. And what insulin does, as far as blood sugar is concerned, is it opens the door. It's your doorman to go into the cell. The cell needs sugar. Sugar's in the blood. This is the delivery and the doorman has to allow the delivery or the people inside don't get fed. So that door stays locked. So it doesn't matter how much sugar is on the outside, it only matters can insulin open the door to go in. So we very much focused on blood sugar Uh, Because it's a disease so we're doctors and we do our own research and we look at the disease of Distorted blood sugar and how much insulin do you need and how we can correct it? So we tend to look at insulin as this blood sugar medicine that uh, hormone, but it's really not its major function It is an important function its major function is to get the sugar out of the circulation because it's toxic and Decide where all the energy goes so it's actually like a a director like you go here you go it, it decides what's going to go where so we go oh i don't want to eat fat cuz it's like go straight from the lips to the hips and we don't we just pretend digestion never happened everything gets digested it all turns into small molecules and insulin decides what's going to be done with those so here's how sugar is used in your body first of all your body can use sugar or fat or the byproducts of fat, which is ketones. But you have to train the right hormones. So there are two forms of heating, for example, as you look at his fuel is. One of them is like using kindling wood, which means if you're feeding the fire all the time, it can always it can always in danger of going out. It's going fast and bright but it's all, you have to keep looking around and feeding the fire. And this is basically what a sugar burner does and that's how most people are eating. Whereas a fat burner is much more like a coal stove. You can put everything in and it's going to stay at a relatively even temperature for the whole day. Um, it doesn't go up and down very much and you had to have thought a little of in advance and it uses coal, more concentrated fuel than kindling. Okay, so is that clear that image? But you can't just go, oh, I want to burn coal today, and you can't just switch over. You have to get a coal burning, you have to make preparations to make that work. So if you like keep setting a match onto coal, you're going to get no heat at all, right? So the mechanism to light the coal isn't there. You have to train that mechanism, which we do by working with insulin and the blubber. So here's how your sugar works. Sugar goes into your body and insulin decides where is it gonna go? It can go, you know, it's, it's energy, it's fuel, and what kind of fuel do I need? So one, it can be used by what you're doing right now. So blood sugar that's there, you can use it to fuel the activity you're doing right at the moment. But then you hear people say, oh, I'm doing something and I need a little sugar. My blood sugar's low, like I can't do anything without the sugar that doesn't work like that it just means if you eat something and you go for a walk or something afterwards it will it will burn if there's sugar just lying around there and you have a healthy body it is your purse it's what you carry with you all the time there's always sugar in your blood if there isn't you're in deep shit and cortis everything's going to dump in to make sugar because you're going to die fast you can't be without any that's how you kill people you have an insulin shot their blood sugar goes down they'll die It's just as good as suffocating it. So they need that sugar. So there's all kinds of hormonal things preventing your sugar from dropping too low. Um, But people who have adrenal stress and fatigue, if cortisol is one of the things that make your sugar come back up when they're having disordered cortisol, when their blood sugar drops, and it drops because it went sky high, and then it plummets, because we'll talk about what happens with the insulin, then cortisol can't counteract that by making you burn your muscles, which is what cortisol does, so that you can have fast sugar, if there's no sugar there. So, your purse is the sugar that's floating around in your circulation. Now, in your liver and in your muscles, you have storage sugar, and I call this like your carry-on bag, right? It has basically enough to last you for a day, wherever you land in the world. It has necessities, okay? nobody ever needs to snack because you got sugar in your liver and all your muscles that's supposed to last you enough sugar to run away from the tiger you know basically it's your emergency store it's a snack when you fast when you go to sleep at night you burn that sugar and then you burn fat that's what you're supposed to do and then Insulin says okay, but that your carry-on bag is very small and they're very strict about those carry-on bags now You have to shove them in a little box and stuff and as soon as you're over the limit they go "Eh, that can't go you're gonna have to throw that back in storage in the cargo That's what insulin says because when there's insulin resistance what happens is uh, the cell where insulin goes knock 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 got some sugar here for you and inside they're going yay because we're starving but you've made this resistance by having insulin around all the time because there's too much sugar so insulin's knocking all the time and they just get tired of hearing it but yeah 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 leave it outside we'll come back the only person who always opens the door for insulin is the fat cell he's like pizza delivery yay bring it bring it in so the fat is always like yeah give me some sugar i'll make it into fat we'll have buddies we'll have a big party tonight bring it bring it bring it the other places so this is like your oversized baggage like in your brain you go oh i don't know i might need that so it just throws it back there. It's just junk in the trunk you don't know when you're going to use it but you don't care because you might be starving sometime in the future and it would be nice to know that you have that around like I was like my, when I did my insulin thing is like oh you might never know when you want to wear your wedding dress again <laughs> or, or that Halloween costume made out of peacock feathers so you don't want to throw it away <laughs> but you need a lot of storage space to keep stuff like that around but if you have a big storage space then you go who cares just throw it on just push it on back there and if we ever need it we'll go find it and maybe we won't ever need it but who cares and this is the blubber this is what we're storing so how do you get your insulin under control? Well, i tell you one thing. I call it the insulinator, like the terminator. You do not control insulin. Insulin controls you. So you can't punch him out, have to, he has to be punched out, like the time clock. So the reliable way to get your insulin to drop, not low, not managing your blood sugar, not mixing sugar and insulin together, you want insulin to go home for a while he'll be back as soon as you eat so the best way of doing this is to not eat some of the time so if you're eating all of the time or you're drinking like cappuccinos that have milk in them that insulin never goes home and the third job of insulin is to be the guardian of the fat and what did we already say about women they like to guard their fat even more so The insulin will guard the fat. If you have even a speck of insulin in your body, you will be burning not fat. So that's why you want to come in, and if you want to do this, it's like, when do you eat during your workout? Well, if you have a little snack, so you have blood sugar to do your workout, go, well, wasn't that nice? That's what you just burned. But didn't you wanna come and burn fat? If you wanna come and burn fat, you better come with no insulin. And preferably your glycogen stores somewhat depleted too. So hungry. Right, so what do we want women to do? Well, we don't want them exercising too long, but you know what would be great? Getting up in the morning and doing something. Yeah. Just fitting in one fitness, little eight minutes of something, First jump rope. First thing bef- before they eat, because ha- there's no other fuel except for fat. What else are they going to burn? Yeah. That's how you train the fat. But what happens if you do and you go to say, okay, well, I'm starving and I'm not going to eat any dinner and I'm going to have a drink a liquid lunch and I'm not eating dinner and I'm going to go and I'm going to hit the gym at 6 a.m. and turn all the lights on and be wearing skimpy clothes and everything and completely screw my brain up at what is going on? And it goes, hey, how about a big dose of stress hormone? And if you think you're gonna be burning fat, then you're delusional. You will be burning anything your body can get its hands on. Just tear it apart and you go, oh wow, I feel really good. Yeah, that's called opiates. They never come until you're in pain. That whole runner's high thing, you know, is like, oh, I just I get this runner's high. I'm like, yeah, that's like when you're going to die. And your body says, well, it's this like thing from Caddyshack where it's the last blessing you get. Well, you're going to die, but I'll make you high right before you die so that you won't feel the pain of the teeth crushing you. The runner's high only comes in response to pain. It's an opiate. It's the drug of choice for people who have pain in their life and want pain relief. It is the opposite of a dopamine high, which is the cocaine drug of choice of the wanting excitement and anticipation so when you do things that create pain in your body you say i feel good after i have pain it's because you're getting these endorphins which you've trained your body to give you your fix because they wouldn't we wouldn't have opiates unless we have we have a pharmacy in our own body so wherever whatever we don't have a receptor to doesn't exist we anything you can give me that i react to i make myself in some sort of form so we know that the white powders like the flowers has opiate in it the sugar has dopamine um action in it and the vegetable seed oils are like cannabis so you eat your salad and your salad dressing and then you got the munchies yeah. that's like uh Teresa, when they
2: um you know uh when you're given bread in a, well, I don't know if is the same thing, but when you're giving bread in a restaurant and then you eat your food, you eat your bread, you eat your meal, you eat
0: dessert, and then you go home and you eat some more. You have to have something sweet, like M&M's or something, in front of the freezer. Yeah. Because I feel sick, but I just, was like, the bread means... Eating the bread means you eat more. And people say, well, that's just, you know, they're just being nice. I'm like, no, they're business. They're never nice. They want you to they eat, want more, you to eat more. They supersize things at McDonald's because they want you to buy. me. Everything is like, will you buy it? If you buy it, you will eat it. We hate waste. We want, like, it's like, don't cut my minutes back. Give me the biggest one. Everybody's like, portion control, portion control. I'm like, there's no portion control. There's plate control. The portion is however much you give me. That's what a portion is. That's one serving. If it's the world, I will eat it. It is how much it is the Dorito bag. Your hand hits the bottom of it. Doesn't matter whether it's this size, this size, or this size. You just keep eating it. There's something so satisfying about that feeling of scraping the bottom of the ice cream container in a circle.
2: And it's the way that we're brought up as well.
0: Yeah, but that's just all just justification. Yeah. But they, they tested kids, even if you don't do that, then your, your brain, the portion is what you are served. Uh-huh. Your, your eyes just don't work that well. So the bigger things we give things, and the more we don't put them on plates or we oversize the plates, the more that we never feel full. Yeah. So that's a whole really great book called Mindless Eating that really shows how easy it is to trick people's brains Even when you tell them right in front of them you're doing it, it still works really well because your brain is not interested in having you starve to death. It doesn't care what you look like naked. I stole that line from him, but it's a really good one. Mm -hmm. Your brain does not care what you look like naked. It is like looking out for other things. It's just not on the agenda. So that is the basis for the program. So now Ash is going to take us in. The classes are very different than the program. The classes are going to be offering, are about community, social, there's a lot of stress reduction, so there's the community and there's the social, there's the learning, there's the novel, there's the fun words and belonging, so it's a jargon, it's our own private language, and it really is a coat and corset class with stress reduction, and then at the end, which I told her she's gonna have to do this for us, is to convert your PMS into PS, parasympathetic. So we don't want all the M's, ups and downs. So we want to train our body to be able to go back to that reset default, because we shouldn't be in sympathetic as our uh, default position. We should be in parasympathetic as our default position. Respond with arousal to sympathetic and then go back to parasympathetic. But we've trained ourselves to be coasting in this not too bad, which might be like balance, but again, like insulin's much better is like, why did you you're not doing anything else, just go all the way back down. And you don't have to meditate for hours or do anything like that. You can just say, okay, let it go. Let this go. Let the balance restore itself. So okay. off we go. Um.